Greetings and salutations, sports and wrestling fans all across the wide and wonderful internet. Time for another, as always, glorious edition of the Modern Day Gladiators podcast here on the Outlander Media Network. Your humble host, the ace of Tennessee sports podcasting, Michael Shibley, with you here. We have got an absolutely loaded show. I mean, listen to all the papers fluttering around with shibbles and bits. We've got stacks of stuff here, man. It is going to be an action-packed show. We are starting off, however, we've got an NFL and a Major League Baseball story. Someone's lying in both of them. And I flipped a coin, and we're going to talk first about the Major League Baseball story. We're going to talk about the Houston Astros. Many of you, of course, know, and we've talked about it a little bit here on this fine program where the Houston Astros, especially in 2017 and 2018, were found guilty of sign stealing by an investigation using electronics and banging on trash cans to tip off their batters about the, the what pitch was coming. And I know we've talked about this before, and again, sign stealing, to me, has always been something that baseball had. I talked about it on this show, where even in Little League, when I'm on second base and the batter's there, the catcher's taking his le- moving left or right, I'm moving in sync with him, at least to let my batter know where that ball's coming. That is basic 101 when it comes to just helping your batter. But again, when you go electronic like they did, it's a big thing when it comes to cheating. And of course, the manager and general manager for the Astros were uh, they were sent and sent packing. They were uh, going to be suspended for a year, and then the Astros just fire them. Then, of course, you've got what happened last week, where you had the Astros uh, owner. Uh, Jim Crane, who's someone not liked around a lot of places, and I don't have enough time to go into all those problems in Houston. I'm sure my brother-in-law and his family could talk a little bit more about that one. But just this meandering, half-assed apology, really, when it comes to it. It's not even a good apology at all. Where first he said, you know, the sign ceiling didn't really affect the game, and then like 55 seconds later he said it probably affected the game. It was just weird. And then you had, at least some of the players seemed to have a mea culpa when it came to a lot of this stuff. But it's going to be really interesting because the big thing going on, someone's just lying. It's like, it's one of these things where it's like, dude, you got caught take some punishment for it. One of the big things coming out is right now there was over the weekend Rob Manfred, the uh, Major League Baseball commissioner, talked about how he didn't want to punish the players for their role in the scandal because he was worried about conflicts with the union and what they have to deal with publicly already and just all these other things. It, it was just really weird to see where they just they gave the players immunity from all consequences in this, which, of course, has gotten a lot of players on other teams very upset. Mike Trout, of course, was a big one. Of course, the, the multiple-time MVP. You look and you have Justin Turner, who, of course, played for the Dodgers, uh, you know, talking about because, again, there's this big argument that the Astros should give up their World Series trophy from 2017. So, talks about how Justin Turner blasting Manfred, saying the reason every guy's in this room, the reason every guy's working out all offseason and showing up to camp early and putting all the time and effort is specifically for the trophy. 
which it seemed like Manfred called just a piece of metal, which to me was way more than just a piece of metal. It's you're a champion for the rest of your life, not champions of life, like Tennessee, former Tennessee coach uh, Butch Jones talked about, you know, when they couldn't get to the damn Sugar Bowl by beating Vanderbilt, but that's a whole other story. But putting all that time and effort for that trophy, which is called the Commissioner's Trophy, by the way, so he felt like devalue. He was devaluing them winning the World Series. Of course, when the Dodgers came up against both the Astros and the Red Sox, who were also implicated in this uh, for not winning it. The big news, though, that has been coming out later and now is that Commissioner Rob Manfred has come out and essentially imploring, as well as new uh, manager Dusty Baker uh, for the Houston Astros, longtime manager. And I think a really good pick for someone to guide the Astros, at least through this year, of what's going to be <laughs> a lot of a lot of anger. A lot of the players, especially pitchers who had their pitches tipped off by the Astros, they seem to be wanting their pound of flesh. And it doesn't seem that they got it from what the commissioner did. So there's going to be, it seems like, a lot of plunking, a lot of beanballs. Now I, as I've talked about many times in this show, I hate hate the unwritten rules of baseball of you know you being my guy I being yours with intention all those other stupid unwritten rules of baseball not a fan of them because it's just it's stupid and again then they end up getting into a push just a pushing and shoving match baseball players don't know how to fight anyway so when you see all of this this is where it's weird too because now it seems like a bunch of people are okay with the Astros getting plunked which to me, is just really concerning. So honestly, it it takes it took all the way up to this, not changing the rules anyway, because you know when a pitcher's throwing at a guy intentionally, where you could suspend him for a lot longer than they do now. If Rod Manford really wants to get on this, especially if they throw at any of the Astros' heads, like if they're throwing at any of their players' heads, that's a big problem because that you can do some serious damage. Yeah, they're wearing a helmet, but trust me, that helmet does not do much. So that's something you've got to nip in the bud. I really think Rob Manfred needs to get out there and say, hey, you throw at a guy intentionally because you're butthurt about what happened. And again, I am not blaming the pitchers and other players for being upset. I completely understand that. But you can't take the law into your own hands. You can't use that ball, which is a weapon. Trust me, you get a ball thrown at you out of a cannon from 100 miles an hour. it, It hurts. It doesn't feel good. Even if you throw it and hit him in the hip or the back, that is just, again, you can do some serious damage when you do things like that. So they better nip it in the bud and say, hey, pitcher, you retaliate, with a beanball like this, you're out for 30 games of the season. You're going to miss at least five or six starts. Manager, pitching coach, you're gone for 30 games. You've got to have some punishments that are really going to try and discourage people from doing this. So we'll see what happens. Again, it's this weird thing. Beanballs, are. I hate just the throwing at it. Which is why I've always been. If I get beamed with it, I don't know why the the pl- the uh, batter comes doesn't come at him with a bat. Really, when you look at everything. Meanwhile, a Las Vegas sports book has come out and put the over under of uh, Houston Astros getting plunked by pitches this season at eighty three and a half. 
That's the over-under. Uh, only six teams, I think, in the last nine years have been hit more than 84 times. We'll see what happens there. Honestly, I think if anything's going to happen, it's going to happen here in the first month of the season, maybe even in spring training. I don't know, which is going to be weird because there's a lot of guys who weren't even on the team at that point. We'll see where that all ends up. But I think it might end up dying down once the games start mattering a little bit more. We'll see. Of course, we'll talk plenty more about this as the season wears on. But let's move over to the NFL where... You thought that this controversy kind of dialed down. We're talking about Miles Garrett and Mason Rudolph. It, of course, was the incident we talked about back when uh, Miles Garrett hit Mason Rudolph over the head with his helmet during a fracas at the end of the Steelers-Browns Thursday night football game, which, again, was just a mess when you look at everything that happened there. Miles Garrett, not immediately after the game, mind you, but later on said that Mason Rudolph called him the N-word. We all know what that word is, and that's what made him go crazy. Miles Garrett was suspended indefinitely at the time, and now he had a meeting with the commissioner's office and they have now reinstated him. So really, hitting a guy with a helmet, he only got six games, which I think, to me, still was a little light. We'll see what Miles Garrett did then, because we, we have an idea of what he said to the commissioner, because he did an interview with ESPN's Mina Kimes over the weekend, and still claiming that Mason Rudolph called him the N-word. And came out and said it, which, again, when you look at this whole thing, it's everything wrapped up for you. There were other linemen standing there. And yes, there's a whole conspiracy theory. We're not halfle. There's a whole conspiracy theory about the fact that the mics were turned off on the field, even though apparently the NFL's policy is to do that. I still don't understand it, but there were linemen there, right there. You look at everything, there were linemen standing right there who would have heard things like that. You, you, you have all these other players around, and again, they didn't immediately react to it. Also, when you look at everything when it comes to this, you would think Mason Rudolph is not Tom Brady. He's not, you know, he, he, he's not Alvin Kamara. He's not a high-profile guy. He's not Jimmy Garoppolo. He's not Aaron Rodgers. He's he's not a top flight player. So really, if he said this, you would think someone either on his, most likely even on his team, one of the linemen who, you know, were black or whatever, would have come out and told Adam Schefter or Peter King or someone in the media, even anonymously, hey, he called him the N-word. But none of that has come out. The only person claiming any of this has been Miles Garrett the whole time. Meanwhile, Mike Tomlin, the coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, and those of you who apparently don't might not know this, black guy, I've got he to me, out of everybody in this whole thing, I believe Mike Tomlin because Mike Tomlin came out and de- backed up his quarterback. Mason Rudolph of course said this is 1000% false, a bold-faced lie. I did not and have not and would not utter a racial slur. So, someone's lying. Either it's Miles Garrett or Mason Rudolph. Again, it's one of these things where it's like, I don't know who to believe, but the one I do know who to believe, and that's Steelers head coach Mike Tomlin, a guy who has earned his place as one of the more respected people in the NFL with his track record, a winning coach with the Steelers, has won a Super Bowl, and then you also have 
people who he won a Super Bowl and got to another one. So the guy knows how to coach. He hasn't had a losing season, I don't think, as head coach. The man is real well-respected. He doesn't really give interviews outside of the season, but he felt the need to go on to ESPN First Take yesterday and talk about this. And, I mean, he said the most recent one happened this past weekend. I took offense to it, to be quite honest with you. I fully support Mason Rudolph. We as an organization fully support Mason Rudolph, and we're hacked off about what we saw this weekend. And he said he thinks Mason Rudolph's reputation needs to be defended. He went also after ESPN when they talked about the the outside-the-lines segment they did on everything where the talked about how it just seemed that everything was skewed toward Miles Garrett because that's who Mina Kimes did the interview with and saying that they, they, they weren't bringing up a lot of stuff where they talk about that the NFL did an entire investigation and found nothing wrong with any of this. So again, I'm going to back up Mike Tomlin when it comes to all of this and this is almost becoming Mike Tomlin essentially goes out and is calling Miles Garrett uh, uh, the NFL's version of Jesse Smollett who remember he was the uh, actor on Empire who created a fake hate crime saying that two Trump supporters on a very icy cold wintry night in Chicago recognized him from Empire because obviously two uh mango hat wearing Trump supporters watch Empire uh, and then hung a noose around him and all this other stuff when obviously that didn't happen. And I, it's, it's one of these things where you're going to have a, a faction of people who, if Miles Garrett is lying, and to me, I'm leaning that way, that there's going to be a large faction who just believe My- what Miles Garrett said because there's a lot of people who really, really love and want news stories about white people behaving badly. The media, certain aspects of the media, love seeing that and will not rush to defend the other end of that. We'll see where this all ends up. Honestly, I think where we need to end up with this is you need to have Miles Garrett, Mason Rudolph. You need to have coaches. Again, you can't have Freddie Kitchens because he's no longer with the Browns. Maybe you should have him there. I don't know. You need to have the player union representatives. You need to have the people that were involved in this all in one room with the commissioner's office, and we need to have this out now and say, like, no one's leaving this room until we come to a consensus about what happened and what went on there. Because if this keeps going into the season and something happens again when the Steelers and the Browns play each other, that's just not going to look good for the NFL or anybody else involved. So we'll see where that all ends up. My goodness, what a just first. I'm teed off right now when it comes to a lot of that stuff. And speaking of tees, it's a terrible segue, but I'm going to use it. Thanks to Joe Shirt for sponsoring us here on Modern Day Gladiators and the rest of the Outlander Media Network. Go to JoeShirt.com. Get yourself a, a logo or a brand. You want to expand that brand and put it on a shirt, a sign, a mug, pens, lighters, whatever your idea is, Joe Shirt and Joe Shirt Deluxe can help. Go to JoeShirt.com. They've been doing things for over 30 years here in Knoxville. We love them here with Outlander Media, and we thank them for their continuing support of this podcast network as we take over the world. And of course, Otherworldly Coffee. Otherworldly Coffee, amazing coffee. It's liquid cocaine when it comes to getting you up and ready for the day. 
If you go to otherworldlycoffee.com, use the code OUTLANDER in all caps, and that's going to give you 20% off your order. There, It's great coffee, the Dogman blend, the Firebird blend, you've got the Bigfoot blend, all of them. They're just amazing. They will get you hyped and ready to go for the day. So thanks for their continuing support here of Modern Day Gladiators. And of course, we got to thank all the other great shows here at the Outlander Media Network. Of course, DLC Respawn. I was recently a guest on their latest episode. You can check that out with Boston, Bingy, and Ryan Shipley. So we've got Shipley and Shibley on a show. It wasn't confusing at all. It's totally fine. You've, of course, got Haffle. You've got Deadbeat Radio. Uh, you've got Scared Stupid. So many great podcasts that we have here on the show, and there's some other big stuff coming. We're taking over the world. Head over to outlandermedia.net. Check out everything if you want to listen to any of the great fine shows there. And, of course, wherever you get your fine podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, wherever. Find us, like us, give us those five-star reviews, and, of course, check out Modern Day Gladiators on Facebook and Instagram where I post updates and pictures and whatnot. And, of course, you can debate me about any of this on Twitter. You don't like what I had to say about Miles Garrett? I'm thinking he's creating a lie, and maybe I'm wrong. You can call me out on it. I would love to hear from you, Michael underscore Shibley, on Twitter. So there we have all of that. Got that out of the way. Let's dive in real quick before we go to break. Let's talk some NCAA basketball action because you know I love me some college hoops, even though the Vols and Lady Vols did not have a good weekend. But a couple of the other big matchups that we had, Florida State survives at Syracuse, Kentucky surviving at Ole Miss. It was a lot of surviving over the weekend for top teams. Baylor taking care of West Virginia on the road. San Diego State remaining undefeated. Really like what they've been able to do there. Um, We'll kind of see where that goes, whether they're going to get a number one seed, if they can continue to stay undefeated. We'll see how all that goes. You also have some big games coming up a couple of big conference matchups. Of course, the Big East has been amazing. Creighton and Marquette are doing battle. Of course, you've got uh, just so many great stuff happening in the Big East with Villanova. And I just love Big East basketball, man. Even though they don't have, you know, they don't have Syracuse and, and, and West Virginia, they've still got like Georgetown and Butler who are doing great things. And Creighton, DePaul, Seton Hall is in the top 10, dropped out after a bad week. So, again, Big East basketball, just by far, them in the Big Ten, by far the most competitive when it comes to good basketball conference-wise so far this season. We've got another big matchup coming up in the SEC uh, right after we're done recording this. You've got Kentucky at LSU. Uh, LSU is a game behind the Wildcats. We'll see what happens there. As Kentucky looks like they've righted the ship and are steaming toward yet another SEC championship. We'll see if LSU can stop them there. But the big matchup, and looks like the game of the year, at least in the regular season for college basketball, is happening Saturday night when Baylor hosts Kansas. You've got one versus three. It's going to be an amazing atmosphere there. Baylor looking to win their first title in a lifetime, it seems like, when it comes to how long it's been since Baylor won a conference championship. And, of course, Kansas, the perennial power in the Big 12. Baylor already got the win in Fog Allen Fieldhouse, so if Baylor can take this one, that might show up that Big 12 championship. Meanwhile, for Saturday, the Vols, they lost a tough one at South Carolina, 63-61. to Yes, there was a lot of just argument about that charge call at the end. 
it's, again, you, you just don't want to leave things like that in the hands of the officials. That's the bottom line when it comes to all of that, whether the call goes in Tennessee's favor or not. You don't want to leave things in the hands of the refs. Tennessee, again, just can't seem to just fully get on track here. And losing a game like this at South Carolina is just going to keep dashing Tennessee's postseason hopes, whether it be the NCAA or even the NIT at this point. And it sucks, too, because they torched Arkansas 82-61 to on Tuesday. So we'll see what happens. Meanwhile, hopefully they can get things right. They are home against Vanderbilt, who they beat and didn't allow Vanderbilt to make a three-pointer for the first time ever earlier this season. We talked about that on this show. They're taking on Vandy tonight on this Tuesday that we're recording this, and then they are at Auburn with Bruce Pearl and everything there happening on the plains of Auburn on Saturday. My final four still, I've got Baylor, Kansas. I still think both of them are going to make the final four. I've got Duke, and I've got San Diego State. We'll see where that changes as the season wears on, but that's my final four right now. Also, the Lady Vols, not a good week for them. They lose at LSU by 10, 75 to 65, and then had a chance to beat another ranked team, Texas A&M, 73 to 71, but they were just not able to get it done as the Lady Vols lose by two at home. We'll see where all of this shapes out. I know the Lady Vols are in the tournament, but again, they're just not there all the way. They're not going to be all the way back for a while, I don't think. We'll see what Kelly Harper can do with recruiting and getting some other players in and see how they're going to play with her compared to Holly Warlick. Let's just see. Again, I want my beloved Lady Vols to get back up into the Elite. We'll see. They close out the season. They've got three games left at Arkansas, Vanderbilt, and Old Miss at Thompson Bowling Arena. So we'll see where all that goes before heading into the SEC tournament and then the NCAA tournament. Now, we are going to take a break, but we've got a loaded batch of shibbles and bits. Coming up next, you're listening to the Modern Day Gladiators podcast on the Outlander Media Network. Welcome back, everybody. It's time for Shibbles and Bits. You hear the music. You know it's time for the awesomeness of everything else going on in the world of sports that you might have missed. Uh, What a weekend it was. You, of course, had the All-Star Game where, for once, it seemed as if I liked the revamp format. You know, where you had, yeah, the first three quarters were mini-games and you got monies for charity, which, hey, I kind of liked it. Of course, more tributes to Kobe Bryant happened, which I thought were really good. Um, but then the fourth quarter happened, and things got a lot more interesting. They and they added what's called uh, the Elam ending, which essentially is you get to a point where whatever the team in the lead has, and then you add, I think they're using the fourth quarter, so it was 24 points in honor of Kobe. So it was, uh, Team Giannis was up by whatever, and then what ended up happening was they said, okay, now... Whoever gets to 157 points first wins the game. So you actually had both teams trying. You had taking charges and blocking shots and running plays. It was really interesting and way more than just the free-for-all pickup game that uh, the All-Star game has been for years. So 
I liked that. I thought it was enjoyable. Uh, so give them credit for at least trying something new. I hope they add it. Honestly, I'd put the ill amending in for any of the overtime games, at least in the regular season. I think it would end quicker, and I think more people would tune in to watch it. Now, don't have it in the playoffs. Just have the regular overtime period there. But I like it just to get through some of these games quicker and maybe make more people watch because, again, ratings have been a problem this season for the NBA. You also had All-Star Weekend happen. Uh, ben Adebayo, he won the All-Star uh, Challenge, which I thought was really good for him. Uh, you know, a six foot nine, 255 pound guy winning the skills challenge since D Wade did it back in 2007. Dwayne Wade was there, which I thought was really cool. So kudos to him. You had Buddy Heald beating Devin Booker on the final shot to win the three point shootout where they added this year. They added some longer shots, which I thought was really cool. Again, changed some things up. Then, of course, you had the controversy in the dunk contest where Aaron Gordon Everybody thought he had won after uh, jumping over seven foot five inch taco fall of the Boston Celtics. But then it ended up because of weird scoring or whatever, and I thought they were going to have a tie. But Derek Jones Jr. ends up getting the win. Honestly, I think they had too much of jumping over things overall during the whole uh, dunk contest. And again, I think they started really all the scorers, including Candace Parker. One of my beloved Lady Vols, Common, uh, Dwayne Wade, Scottie Pippen, Chadwick Boseman, each started scoring too high, so then you just kept giving people 50s and 50s. Honestly, I think they need to add the, the half point in there. Give someone a 9.5. You don't have to just give them a 10. But, again, it was controversy, and yeah, I still think Aaron Gordon probably should have won, but, again, it's the dunk contest, so that's about as much time as we're giving to that. Meanwhile, you got some other things quickly going on. A quick congratulations uh, to Denny Hamblin for winning his third Daytona 500 in a photo finish. It was rain delayed. Uh, it started on Sunday, but then bad weather forced it to finish uh, last night as of this recording. So we're good there. Hey, they got the win, so we're good. But And good news is it looks like, at least as of this recording, Ryan Newman looks to be okay after that terrifying crash. I'm not going to show that on the Facebook page because that was horrifying, especially as a guy is sent to the hospital. So, But good news that he's going to be okay. And again, congratulations to Denny Hamlin on a third Daytona 500. A couple of other quick things in the world of sports we've got in baseball. We've got some new rule changes that were brought about. Uh, this is going to be interesting to see going into the season. There's now a three-batter minimum, which means that if you a pitcher is now, when he's brought into the game, is now required to face a minimum of three batters or pitch to the end of a half inning, with, of course, exceptions being made in case of injury or illness. I think, again, yeah, this is going to, I think, move the game along a little bit more. I would honestly add the pitch clock. I think that would move it the most. But again, it's not just to get one guy out and then bring another batter in to do the battery thing of a lefty versus a lefty or a righty lefty. Whatever the matchup is, I'm kind of happy that they're bringing that in. Uh, I do at least, I mean, yeah, it does eliminate some strategy that the pitchers have because you look at like what the Kansas City Royals did some years ago when essentially... All they needed to do was get to the sixth inning, and then they got their bullpen in there, and they took care of business and won the World Series. So, yeah, that. 
They're changing the roster size, which is good. They're making some changes, of course, to position players that are pitching. Players must be designated as a pitcher, a position player, or two-way player prior to each player's first day on the active roster, and the designation cannot be changed for the remainder of the season. Again, this is just to you know save in some of these games that are just out of hand, just bringing in a guy, you know, bringing in the left fielder to pitch. Uh, so you've got these. Of course, we're making some length of minor league options, which I think would be good to help with these contracts and. All, all the different things you've got there. The injured list. Players on the injured list will have to miss a minimum of 15 days rather than the 10-day minimum uh, for per- position players. So you got pitchers have to miss 15 days, players just 10 days on the injured list. So, again, this will happen. The seven-day concussion list will stay unchanged. So, again, some good changes there. I'm all for it. Also in baseball, you had, uh, this is going to be interesting because you've got the 10-year reunion of the 2010 World Series team of the San Francisco Giants, but they have declined an invitation to Aubrey Huff, who was a member of that team, mostly for what the Giants believe to be an unacceptable comments made by Huff on social media. Again, I don't mind, and Huff is a Trump supporter, I am totally fine with having different views. I've always believed that a uh, a group of ideas and having that into a diversification of ideas is is the best thing that you can have because you get different viewpoints if you've got everybody who thinks the same you could just end up with in a horrible position with a lot of stuff so that's my position on a lot of that so bring in people who think differently and come up with ideas and solutions that help a lot more people than just you just staying in your own little clique but then he went out and now he deleted these tweets but he did still make them about uh, he put out things about the first one was him containing a picture of him holding a shooting target with holes and the caption said getting my boys trained up on how to use a gun in the unlikely event Bernie Sanders beats Donald Trump in 2020 you don't again don't talk about violence we talked about this with the umpire who was suspended because he had a gun showing this is what's going to happen if you impeach my president don't incite and try and incite violence not a big fan of that also he did make a a tweet about kidnapping iranian women so we can bring them back to where uh, they uh fan us and feed us grapes that not good optics on that isn't good honestly he did delete them i would still probably just bring him there just mention the name move on to the next group put him next to you're one of the better players on the team or one of the more recognizable, like Tim Linscombe or something. Put him next to Linscombe and say, like, Aubrey Hub and then Tim Linscombe. Yay! So you just kind of move on from there. That's just my opinion. We'll see. Another dumb one. This was bad optics, too. You had in hockey over the weekend, uh, they had one of those outdoor games in a football stadium, the LA Kings versus the Colorado Avalanche. They had it at Falcon Stadium where the Air Force Academy is in Colorado Springs, but there was such a traffic jam that they did not do a good job with the logistics of so much of this, including also a couple of accidents on I-25. It was not good. I mean, some people weren't getting there until the third period had already started. So, I mean, you missed two-thirds of the game, 
and it was a good game. It was a three to one game. There was a lot of scoring and a lot of good things happening, but so many people didn't get to see it. And also, there was a big mess getting out of the stadium as well. Of course, it doesn't help when you get a lot of fans who probably don't make it to Colorado Springs for Air Force games uh, having issues with traffic. It was the same thing here uh, when Garth Brooks, uh, back in the fall, had a concert in Neyland Stadium and sold the place out. And you had a lot of people who were involved in that who were in town who had never been to a Tennessee football game before. So they ran into an issue where... They didn't understand how long it takes to get out because Neyland Stadium, for those of you who don't know, nowhere near the freeway. You got to go through a lot of surface streets to get out of Neyland Stadium and where the parking is around there. There's no big parking lots really that you have, like in a lot of football stadiums. So you it's gonna it always takes time to get out of there. And you don't have like a football game where the game's pretty much over and a lot of people leave early. Everybody's staying for the whole time. So that was kind of a mess when you come to that. Hopefully the fans get some refunds when it comes to things like that. So we'll see where all that ends up. Now, for this week coming up, we'll wrap up shibbles and bits here. You've got a big-time heavyweight title fight in boxing, which is what you talk to your parents or even your grandparents at this point. You talk about you know, Ali versus Frazier or Ali versus Foreman. Any of those just big-time, any of Mike Tyson fights even, which are, I mean, it was 20... No, it was 30 years ago at this point. This is how old I'm getting at this point. 30 years ago that Buster Douglas knocked out Mike Tyson in Tokyo. I was seven, didn't fully grasp the situation at the time, but I get it now. I mean, Evander Holyfield, those big fights. So it's good to have really good heavyweight boxing back, at least in the news. ESPN's talking about it wall-to-wall because they've got the pay-per-view rights for this. But it should be good. You've got Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury in an epic rematch. Their first match was great. We talked about it on this show here. You had Tyson Fury who dominated most of that fight, but Wilder was able to knock him down in the last round. It ended up being a split decision draw. So both guys still undefeated, but they've got that draw on their record. Both of them wanting to rectify it. Uh, Tyson Fury calling for a knockout in the second round. Wilder, of course, doesn't think that's going to happen. The way I'm leaning, I'm leaning toward Wilder. I've seen so many of his knockouts. That knockout power that he has is amazing. That straight right that he throws is a thing of beauty. So I'm going with Wilder getting the win. I think it's going to be a majority decision. We'll see where it all ends up. And, of course, we'll talk about the results next week here on Modern Day Gladiators. Moving on to the squared circle. Not a lot going on in the world of wrestling at this point. Big AEW show coming up on Wednesday as Cody faces Wardlow inside a steel cage. So we'll see where that goes. You had NXT TakeOver over the weekend in Portland. Some great matches as with all TakeOver events. They all totally reek of awesomeness. You've got Keith Lee retaining his North American title over uh, Dijakovic in another Haas fight that these guys just have, doing so many things that 300-pound-plus guys should not be able to do in a wrestling ring. A couple of other things. You had Rhea Ripley defeating Bianca Belair uh, to re- uh, defend her NXT Women's Championship, of course, After the match, Charlotte Flair jumps Rhea Ripley and says, I accept your challenge at WrestleMania. So Charlotte Flair winning the Royal Rumble, not going after Ronda, or not Ronda Rousey, she hasn't been in in a year, not going after Becky Lynch or Bayley or any of that. She's going after Rhea Ripley for the NXT Women Championship at WrestleMania. 
the Broserweights, uh, Pete Dunne and Matt Riddle getting the win over uh, the Undisputed Era for the NXT Tag Team Championships. Finn Balor defeating Johnny Gargano in just another fantastic match, which would you expect anything less from those two? And of course, Adam Cole, baby, defeating Tommaso Ciampa for uh, defending his NXT championship. Ciampa, of course, never lost the belt. He had to give it up after a neck injury. But what the big twist here is Ciampa looked like he might have been on his way to winning, but of course the Undisputed Era was interfering. But then Johnny Gargano comes out and then betrays Ciampa. If you remember, Gargano had been betrayed by Tommaso Ciampa over the past year, which led to, of course, epic matches between them. And then what ends up happening is now Gargano betrays Ciampa. So we're going to see kind of a role reversal in who's the heel and who's the face, which I think is pretty cool. Let's see where they go with it. The problem is I've seen so many great Ciampa-Gargano matches. I don't know how they're going to top themselves with the awesomeness there. We'll see where it goes. I have total faith in Triple H and NXT for telling that story correctly. One other dumb note when it comes to the WWE, they just released their new documentary series, or at least the first two episodes of it, called Ruthless Aggression, where they talk about that era, where you've got the rise of John Cena and Brock Lesnar, Randy Orton, and others. It's what happened after the Attitude Era, because they needed to come up with something to fill the void since they didn't have the competition with WCW. Picks up right where the Monday Night War documentary kind of left off. But one of the things, I'm just going to point this out, because in the documentary, as the WWE loves to do and love to just write their own version of their history when it comes to many of these things, they mention how in 2002, when the WWE at the time, they were the WWF, the World Wrestling Federation, had to change their name to World Wrestling Entertainment. They talk about it on this documentary on how it was Vince McMahon's totally 100% his decision to do it, to change things up and change the brand, when in reality, the reason they lost the F, and as they kept saying, get the F out, is because they lost a lawsuit to the World Wildlife Fund back in 2002, because the World Wildlife Fund, if you don't notice, also WWF. There had been a long-standing agreement between the World Wrestling Federation and the World Wildlife Fund that um, the World Wrestling Federation can call themselves the WWF in America, but anytime they go overseas, they just have to call themselves the World Wrestling Federation in conflict to not confuse people. So what ended up happening was on a tour of England for one of these one-night-only pay-per-views that they had for only uh, fans in England, they called themselves the WWF. And so the WWF of the World Wildlife Fund sued them. They won the case... And so that is what forced Vince McMahon and the World Wrestling Federation to change to World Wrestling Entertainment. So, again, if you have any questions, ask me on Twitter. If you have any questions about the Ruthless Aggression era on the WWE Network and questions about this, ask your local wrestling expert. And that's me, Michael Shibley, the host here of Modern Day Gladiators. And that's going to wrap up another glorious week on the show. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I will see you next week. Too sweet. Love ya. Adios.